This is the account of Terah's family line. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people and your father's household, to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram travelled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on towards the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued towards the Negev. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Pastor for reading uh, for us. Uh, do keep your Bibles open uh, at that page. Well, as you've gathered, we are looking uh, over these next few weeks at the life of Abraham, or Abraham as he's known here. But well, I might keep calling him Abraham just anyway, because I will. Um, of course, he features, doesn't he, in, in the three great sort of world religions um, that dominate our world today. Uh, but I guess many of us might wonder, why would we be spending these next Sunday evenings uh, looking at a dead bloke uh, who lived 4,000 or so years ago uh, in a world that seems a million miles away from the world that we inhabit today? But we're going to discover that uh, Abraham's story is a story deeply uh, connected to our own story. And the more we get to know him and his story, uh, the more we will discover uh, God's big story and how we are connected to it and how we're to live in the light 
of that big story. Some of you are probably familiar with this uh, TV series called Who Do You Think You Are? A show that uh, seeks to connect and uncover the past for people, uh, often sort of well-known individuals and celebrities. And some of the best moments in the show are when individuals discover they are connected to important or great people in the past. They share the same DNA, as it were, and have that connection. Well, this evening, if we're Christians, I hope we'll start to see that our connection to Abraham uh, is not incidental, it's not peripheral, but actually gets, if we're Christians, to the heart of who uh, we are and how we're connected to God, to Jesus, and to one another. And I hope that as we explore this uh, amazing story of Abraham, that we get to know God better, we understand Jesus and the gospel better, and God's purposes for us in a way that thrills us and deepens our own uh, faith. Why don't we pray for that as we begin this series right now. Father God, uh, God of Abraham and our God, your word tells us that things written in the past long ago were written for us, for our teaching, for our encouragement. Thank you that uh, though this passage is about other people elsewhere in another time, it teaches us about you today and your great plans for us and your world today. So please excite us about both tonight, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, before we, we dive into our passage, uh, just some thoughts to kind of orientate us as we begin this series uh, this evening. See, it would be very tempting, I think, to, to make a sort of simple straight line between us and Abraham, to, to learn some lessons about his life, and to aspire to, to model ourselves on the example that he is of faith, uh, which is rightly commended, I think, in the Bible uh, for us. But just briefly, I think we need to also grasp three uh, connections with this story that we'll, we'll need to keep in view um, if we're to rightly uh, see ourselves uh, as part of this story. So let me quickly highlight three connections uh, for you. First, I think we need to make uh, the God connection. We are connected to Abraham and this story because we are Christian believers. Uh, we worship the same God that Abraham worshipped. Now, maybe that sounds obvious, uh, but I meet quite a lot of people, even those who call themselves Christians, who have somehow concluded that the God revealed at the start of the Bible is, is quite unlike the God they find in the New Testament and the one revealed in Jesus. But God never changes. How he reveals himself in the first pages of the Bible is entirely consistent uh, with the God that reveals himself throughout this great story called the Bible and indeed through history. Indeed, the Bible continues to refer to God as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, especially in the big moments as God reveals himself and discloses himself. That doesn't end in the, in the Old Testament. Uh, soon after Pentecost, as Peter and John are arrested, if you remember, for healing uh, that paralyzed man by the temple gate, Peter boldly explains to the crowd that they have just seen something wonderful and explains what it's about. He says, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant, Jesus. Well, if we get to discover more of Abraham's God, I hope that it will help us magnify and expand our own understanding, not just of Abraham's God, but our God too. 
and that, that will be expressed in wonder and worship as we work our way through this story uh, and our story. But secondly, I want to see us make too this connection, which I call the Jesus connection or the Christ connection. Again, if we keep this uh, connection right uh, in our views that were from the beginning, we'll get to know Jesus better. You see, Abraham's story turns out to not be uh, ultimately about Abraham, but about Jesus. He's the hero, we'll discover, in this ancient story. Uh, just because I was reminded of that fact, uh, that connection, as I was reading through the beginning of Matthew's Gospel. Do you remember how Matthew, how the New Testament begins? This is how Matthew begins, Matthew 1, verse 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And so Matthew is saying, if you want to, to know Jesus better, you need to know Abraham better. And what could be more important or exciting at the start of 2024 uh, than exploring a story that helps us get to know Jesus better? And then third, uh, we have another vital connection with Abraham. We are part of his family. We are his offspring. Obviously not biologically in most cases here, but spiritually. Seriously? Yes. Here's Paul writing to a, normally, to a largely non-Jewish Christian church in a place called Galatia. Galatians 3 verse 7. Understand then, writes Paul, that those who have faith are children of Abraham. We are his descendants. He is our father in the faith. Uh, we have this family connection. And we will discover that being part of that family uh, is, a wonder, is a wonderful privilege. We'll discover what it looks like through the series. So this is really a story for us. Uh, it's our story. Well, that's a, a long introduction, but let's now get into the passage, keeping those connections in, in view as we begin. I guess most of you might know what that is. Um, it's, a, it's a game plan, uh, something a coach might uh, use to convey his plans to his team. Uh, when our coach at school waved one of these in front of us as we played our sport, it was rugby, it, it both told us that our coach had a, a goal, but also a strategy for achieving it. Well, in our passage tonight, God reveals, if you like, his game plan. And if, in a sense, you could say we've been waiting for that uh, for some time in this book of Genesis, ever since humanity rejected God and came under God's judgment and curse. So up till now, God has dealt with this sin problem in a number of ways. Uh, he sent a, a flood, hasn't he, to judge human wickedness. Uh, while saving a handful of people who trusted him. But it didn't fix it at the underlying problem. And at the start of chapter 11 of Genesis, as God encounters rebellion in humanity again, trying to grasp greatness, uh, wanting to, to raise themselves up in the place of God, uh, to make themselves great through building this famous tower, the Tower of Babel, uh, God responds with a plan that scatters humanity. It's a damage limitation strategy. It doesn't solve the underlying sin problem. So what is God's plan? What is he going to do to a sin-sick world, a world rightly under his judgment 
and his curse. Well, right here in Genesis 12, God spells out his game plan. And this is what makes these verses some of the most significant, not just in Genesis, but in the whole Bible. See, these verses will guide and shape the entire Bible story uh, from this point on. And now as as that plan is revealed, we discover that a key player in that plan is a man called Abraham. But before the action begins, uh, the end of chapter 11 gives a little bit of background to this man. We discover Abraham's father is called Terah. Um, And our verses give us a a family line of Terah. Terah has three sons, Abraham, Nahor, and Haram. Haram has a son called Lot, but dies soon after, it seems. Uh, Both Nahor and Abraham marry. Um, Nahor marries a girl called Milcah, and they sort of exit the stage soon after, leaving Abraham and his wife Sarai as the focus of God's game plan. But significantly, especially as we get to hear a bit more about God's plan in chapter 12, we are told that Abraham and Sarah live under the dark cloud of childlessness. The narrator seems to want to underline that fact in a very emphatic way as he records it there in chapter 11, verse 30. Well, in a long section about families and family lines in this, this part of Genesis, this particular family line seems to be heading for a rather unpromising dead end. And then verse 31, we learn that Abraham's father, Terah, takes his family from their home in Ur. It's a great name, isn't it, Ur? I think, no. What do we call this place? Uh, I'll do. <laughs> um, uh, and it, they head to settle uh, towards in, in this place called Canaan. Uh, but they don't make it there, do they? Because on the way, they reach a place called Haran. And for some reason, we're not told, they decide to settle there instead. And there in Haran, uh, Terah eventually dies leaving Abraham, Sarai, and their nephew, Lot. And so that that group now becomes the focus of this story. And then chapter 12 begins with these words. The Lord had said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. This is quite a significant command, isn't it? It involves leaving country, clan, and kin. And significantly, it is given, actually, not while they're in Haran, but back when they are in Ur. That's actually confirmed later on in the New Testament in Acts chapter 7. And so we don't know why they didn't make it to Canaan. But uh, Terah's death seems to be the catalyst that spurs Abraham to finally follow God's call. So why is God calling this individual? What is God's game plan? Well, God now spells it out in these remarkable reverses. Let me read to you them again. The Lord speaking to Abraham says, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Notice some important things. And notice here are promises in which God is clearly making all the running. Again and again, God declares, I will. Seven times in seven verses, I will. This is all about God 
uh, his actions, his activity. Uh, it's not a, a list of demands, is it? Rather, it's a list of remarkable promises. And, and the one-sidedness of this encounter is underlined in how much God says and how little Abraham says. Nothing. And what does God promise to do? Lots of this revolves around this word, great. First, God says, I will make you, Abraham, the father of a great nation. You are going to have a huge number of descendants. Of course, that is quite remarkable, isn't it, given their childlessness and their advanced ages. Then second, God promises to make Abraham's name great. In the future, his name will be synonymous with greatness. People will speak of him in a way that reflects his exalted status. It's interesting, following on from the tower building story at the beginning of chapter 11. It's all about DIY greatness, about people grasping for greatness for themselves and by themselves. And then third, God promises, doesn't he, to bless Abraham. And that word blessing conveys that idea of knowing God's kindness, his <coughs> favour. If you want to picture it, it's like God's smile. And notice that blessing is not going to only fall on Abraham. No, through Abraham, astonishingly, God promises to bless all peoples on earth. In other words, Abraham is going to be the conduit, as it were, for blessing from God that will encompass the entire world. This is God's big game plan. It's huge, isn't it? Remember how Genesis begins. God created a world that had experienced God's blessing. But that defiant rejection of God, that turning away from God, had resulted in a world under curse, not blessing. But now God reveals his great commitment to reintroduce to restore his blessing into that sick and broken world. And if that's his goal, now he begins to spell out how he's going to do it, choosing this one person, uh, blessing him, making him great, and through him blessing the whole world. Well, how exactly is this going to work, we might ask. There might be a lot of questions we have at this part in the story. How will a uh, a sinful, rightly cursed world enjoy God's blessing again? And uh, how exactly will Abraham feature in this plan? Uh, we aren't getting the specifics here, are we? But uh, the shape of the plan is here. God is choosing one person as a representative that he will exalt and bless. And verse 3 states that for those who respond rightly to him, they will enjoy God's blessing through him. Well, as God takes the initiative, as he makes these extraordinary promises, uh, as he offers to, offers to do things uh, that Abraham could never imagine or do for himself, how does Abraham respond? Well, very simply, he trusts God. He responds with faith to this promise-making God. I mean, don't we? Because in verse 4, it tells us that he, he goes, he obeys God's call, even though he has... Lots of unanswered questions, even though many uncertainties remain over where exactly he's going. 
at how God will turn an elderly, childless couple into a, a nation of people. And later in scripture, that faith and trust in God and his promises will be commended in that great chapter on faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as in his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. That's some adventure, isn't it? Imagine as the removal van turns up and the driver asks for the postcode. Well, in the coming weeks, we will see that Abraham's faith in God is tested many times. And sometimes that faith will fail. And sometimes that faith will tenaciously cling to God's promise. Indeed, uh, one of those tests comes, doesn't it, at the end of our passage, uh, with Abraham arriving at the home promised by God, only to find the place is already occupied. The Canaanites currently inhabit the land promised, people specifically cursed by Noah back in uh, Genesis 9. Hardly a promising start, you might think. But did you notice Abraham's response is to build two altars as he arrives and explores the land? An act of worship in a God who makes promises. And I think an act of trust too, trust in a God who will find a way to keep his promises. Well, if God's curse first came to a world that had only known blessing as people failed to trust God, to trust his word, his promises. Here we meet a man who, if you like, against the odds, trusts God. A man of faith, faith that is not only commended, but also given to us as a model, an example for us to follow. And we're going to see that much more uh, through this series. But before we get there, I just wanted to see those connections I mentioned at the beginning um, and see how they shape how we understand this is first part, this first instalment of the story, even before we think about our own response uh, of faith. So let's think again about the God connection. I hope we are flawed by a God who is so committed to blessing, even blessing a world that has turned its back on him, a world that has tried to seize God's greatness and has deserved its curse. And significantly, of course, Abraham is not picked out from the crowd because there's any difference. He comes from a, a line of pagan people who worshipped other gods. Most probably he was a moon worshipper. But God is making it crystal clear that his blessings aren't earned or merited, but given in grace because of his undeserved kindness. So that's not just true of God in the New Testament it's true of God throughout the Bible, throughout history. And how wonderful, I think, to discover that Abraham's God is the same God at work in his world today. How thrilling to know this is our God, not just Abraham's God. And notice that God's overtures to a rebellious world are overtures that start with him declaring, I will, I will, I will. You see, this is not a God who comes to us first and foremost to make demands, but to make promises. And that has always been the way God uh, relates, the dynamic of his relationship with us and his world. Perhaps you're new to Christianity or exploring it, exploring what it means to have faith in this God. But let me ask you, as you think about God, uh, do you tend to think of him saying, 
I will or you must? Is the God you think of uh, someone who makes promises, who only makes demands? Is the God you imagine one who gives his blessings to a deser- deserving few or a lavish and generous God who is intent on flooding the undeserved world he has made with blessing? God who loves to choose the unlikely, the hopeless. I mean, if you're going to create this great nation from one man, Abraham looks like a bit of a hopeless man to pick, doesn't he? And indeed, before we get very far in the story, we'll find this Abraham is very flawed, very fearful, and often anything but faithful. But right at the start of God declaring his game plan, he wants us to be crystal clear That his promises don't depend on human effort or ability, but are given and fulfilled because of his love and grace and power. How great to begin this new year having the God of Abraham as our God, confident that his promises of blessing will continue to flow, um, and not because we are consistently faithful. In fact, we're feeble, aren't we, and very fallible. In the story, we're going to see that God is faithful and that nothing will stop him keeping his promises no obstacles too big to thwart God's game plan for Abraham and indeed for all his people who by faith are caught up in these promises that's the God's connection then there's the Jesus connection you might have noticed Jesus is not mentioned is he in our passage Uh, but I wonder as you heard those great promises uh, promises of greatness many descendants of blessing for the world uh, for those who rightly respond to the one that God exalts. Did you find yourself thinking about Jesus? I hope you did. If you didn't, let me just read a, a very striking verse from Galatians that I think will help us. Here's Paul again, writing to Christians in Galatia. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to his seed, meaning many people, Uh, But and to your seed, meaning one person, who is Christ. They're quite amazing words, aren't they? Paul says, as God was making these great promises to Abraham, he was declaring them not only to this old Jewish patriarch, but making these promises to his son, Jesus Christ. See, God's great plan ultimately is to glorify Jesus, to make him great and to extend all his blessing uh, through him. Blessings of people, of family, of home uh, to those who respond in faith to Jesus, who welcome him and honour him. Abraham actually could never deliver those blessings, could he? He could never overturn God's curse. Jesus can Indeed, just a moment, we're going to remember that as we take bread and wine, (coughs) that Jesus bore our sin, he took our curse, that we might enjoy all the blessings that are his. Do you see, this story is in fact the story of the gospel. Indeed, as Paul says in Galatians, in declaring these promises here in Genesis 12, God was announcing the gospel in advance to Abraham. The gospel of blessing the nations, all peoples through Jesus Christ. 
And I'm excited that we're going to keep meeting Jesus in this story of Abraham and discovering again, hopefully in fresh ways, the wonder of the gospel, those blessings that come to us through Jesus. And I hope we're excited over this Christmas to, to see those plans fulfilled as Jesus comes into the world. But I hope too that we're encouraged and strengthened in our faith as we see that plan declared and revealed in advance through Abraham and his story. Finally, what about the family connection that I mentioned earlier? What in any way can we take from Abraham as this model of faith, this father figure in the faith that we want to reflect in our own lives? Well, as Abraham begins to grasp something of God's game plan, and it's flawed, I think, that God has a place for him in that plan. Abraham is all in, isn't he? He's all in. Uh, wouldn't you be if you grasped something of this blueprint, as you start to grasp the magnitude of God's grace, his generosity, this God who's intent on blessing his world? This is the game plan, isn't it, to be caught up in, to be part of, isn't it? I don't know what plans you have for this new year. But doesn't this game plan take our breath away? Uh, doesn't getting to know this God, not from a distance, but as we're caught up in his great plan, doesn't it get our hearts racing a bit? Doesn't it capture our imaginations just a little at least? Just imagine for a moment if Abraham had said, do you know, I'm pretty settled in Haran. It's quite <coughs> adequate. Pretty comfortable. <coughs> so let me ask you, I draw to close, will you make your life, make this new year, not about your little plans, but let's ask that God will enable us to get our lives revolved around this plan. Plans that offer greatness, an eternal home, a guarantee of blessing for us and indeed the world through Jesus. If you're a young person here, what, what will you give your life to? If not this exciting adventure of faith, this adventure that Abraham embarks on here that involves him, but is way bigger than his biggest dreams. If we could ask Abraham at the end of his life what he had discovered, I think he would urge us not to be satisfied with living for our little plans, to pursue comfort the easy option, the short term, but to find our place in God's great plans of blessing and to be bold, to, to risk everything to make God's great game plan the one that excites us, that we invest in and that we live for. Let's pray as we work our way through this story uh, that that would happen as we keep God's promises in view. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God who is that great, great promise maker. And we see in a way that Abraham could not see it, that great promise keeper. And so, Father, we pray that as we begin this new year, as we think about our lives stretching forwards, we want to be all in. We want to live, not for our little plans, but for that great plan to invest our lives 
in that plan that you have for blessing the world as you honor and exalt your son Jesus. Lord, we thank you so much for this story. We pray that over these coming weeks that we will be captivated by it, that we would see you in it, see Jesus in it, be excited about the gospel in a fresh way and respond to you and to your story with faith and obedience. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.